Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We pray that you would please uh, give us a heart for the poor. Um, this message is laid upon my heart, and I pray that you would please help me get out of the way, and may you speak through me this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. To start off with this morning, I'd like us to just look straight at our passage, and I'll read through it once. It's in the Red Bibles. Uh, we're starting in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, and going through the end of the chapter. And if you're looking in the Red Bibles, it's on page 876. Again, page 876, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to there or to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So have you, as you have heard and read, there are three characters in this parable. We have the rich man, we have Lazarus, and we have Father Abraham. Right off the bat, I want to let you know that this isn't the Lazarus who was raised from the dead by Jesus after four days. The Lazarus we know had a family. He had sisters, Mary and Martha, and he would not have had to resign himself to a life of begging. This is a different man. This beggar is named Lazarus. I want to make that clear so we aren't trying to make connections where there are none. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read parables, I try to put myself into the parable. I find this helps find me find the application the Word has to tell me for my life. So the first couple times I read this passage preparing for the sermon, I put myself in Lazarus's place. I mean, why not? I have assurance of salvation. I'm going to be going to heaven someday when I die. However, we need to look at what's happening before death. Am I or are we living a life of abundance or a life of begging with no way to meet our own needs? If we live in this country, we are wealthy. If you have enough food, if you have shelter, if you have any time for entertainment at all, you are wealthy. We need to place ourselves in the place of the rich man and heed the warning that the story tells 
tells us. So let's look at our first point today. What you do with your wealth matters. So do not be blind to the needy. Again, what you do with your wealth matters, so do not be blind to the needy. Let me read the first three verses of our text today. Again, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who was feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate there were laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Let's start by focusing on this rich man. This is a very rich man. He wears purple, the color of kings, and feasts sumptuously every day. Every day he feasts. But wait, that sounds a lot like me. I have very nice clothes. I'm wearing some very nice clothes right now. I eat three meals a day until I'm full, and I don't even want to eat anymore. I snack in between meals. I snack before I go to bed. And that certainly sounds like feasting to me. Reading about the rich man, you could say that he had want for nothing in this world. He lived like a king. He had all the comforts he could want. And again, this sounds just like me. I have all the comforts I can want. Do I selfishly want more than I need at times? Of course. I'm sure this rich man did as well. But we would say that the Lord has blessed this man in his life. Now let's look over at Lazarus. First of all, it's very interesting that Jesus gives the beggar a name. Nowhere else in Scripture, in a parable, does Jesus give a character a name. It's also interesting that Jesus names only Lazarus and not the rich man. Well, why would he do that? Well, I'm not a beggar named Lazarus. I am, however, a rich man. And if Jesus had given the rich man a name, it would be much harder for us to put ourselves in his place. Since he also remains unnamed, we can insert ourselves in his place. Also, we know that Lazarus dies and goes to heaven, so God knows his name. He's written in the book of life. The rich man goes to hell. Jesus tells those that don't follow him that he never knew them. They are left nameless. And so looking at Lazarus, we see that he has absolutely nothing. He is suffering because he has no money. He's suffering because he has no food. He's suffering because he has no health. He should be the one cursing God, but he isn't. He keeps faith. He holds on to the promise of God through the seed of Eve that a Savior is coming and will destroy suffering and pain. This suffering will not be permanent for Lazarus. There will be great joy, and Lazarus has hope. Even with this hope, Lazarus needed help. It says that Lazarus was at the gate of the rich man, and it's very common for beggars to be at some type of gate. There's always a lot of traffic going back and forth between the gate, and especially at this rich man's house, there's undoubtedly a lot of rich people going in and out of this gate daily. And he was hoping that someone would see him and take mercy on him. Lazarus wasn't asking for much. He just wanted what fell from the rich man's table. And would be thrown away. And in fact, in Matthew 15, 27, where the Canaanite woman is speaking to Jesus, she says, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Lazarus is putting himself as low as he can get. 
he puts himself on level with the dog. And the rich man, he knew Lazarus was there. We see later in the passage that the rich man knew Lazarus' name when he saw him in heaven. He knew Lazarus, and he still turned a blind eye. He cared for his dogs more than Lazarus. They were fed. They, can, they were taken care of. And not so for Lazarus. In fact, the dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. The dogs are caring more for Lazarus than even this rich man. So what does this say about this rich man? It says that he has become callous and he doesn't even care. His neglect for the poor is so great that it won't bother him when Lazarus dies, knowing that he could have done something to help. The rich man will not feel any regret. So what does this story tell us so far? Is it right that the rich man neglected Lazarus? Of course not. This is a call for the wealthy to be generous with what we have to meet the needs of those who have nothing. James 5, 1 through 3 and verse 5 gives us a warning. James says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. We know the things of this world will not last. This is a warning to us. If we don't put ourselves in the place of the rich man, we are foolish. Again, Revelation 18, 15 through 17a, we read, The merchants of those wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas! Alas! For the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. After we die, we see that this is true. In a single hour, all of our wealth is laid waste. Wealth in this life is fleeting. For some people, that's all they have to live for, but not for believers in Christ. Our hope is in Jesus and the eternal life after death. So what should we use our, health, our wealth for? Here, it is obvious. To care for those who can't care for themselves. This includes those who are struggling getting food on the table. Those that are doing everything they can, but they cannot get by. Those that are homeless against their wills for the orphans. Christ called us to open our eyes in those in need of help. To ignore the least of these leads us on a path straight to hell. As Christ said in our reading that we had today in Matthew 25, 41 through 46, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire for, for devils and angels. Now pay close to the reason why they're being cast away. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So if you are unaware of what you can do to help the needy, talk to me or one of the elders, and we with the help of Christ and the Holy Spirit can figure this out together. We have an amazing compassion team that serves a free meal on Wednesdays, and we're looking for volunteers to help serve. This is an excellent place to start if you want to do something right now. Moving to the second point, we read that both men die. Now, thankfully, death is not the end, so there's an afterlife, so the story continues. So let's look at point two. What you do with your wealth matters, so understand that how you live your life and what or who you put your trust in permanently determines what happens to you in the afterlife. Again, what you do with your wealth matters, so understand that how you live your life or what you do or who, what you, or who you put your trust in permanently determines what happens to you in the afterlife. So let's look at verses 22 through 26. It continues, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me! And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So here we see Lazarus go to heaven. He put his trust in the comforter instead of cursing God. The rich man, however, goes to hell. He did not repay his blessing of wealth with worship to God and service to God. Even with all his possessions and wealth, he wasted his life. There are many people today that are wasting their wealth, that are wasting their life. They're not using it for the glory of God to help those in need. We must be conscious of how we are using our wealth. We are not to waste what God has graciously given us. Now we must remember that this is a parable, an example story. Many details in this story are graphic portrayals, not actual descriptions. There are things here that are true. There is an eternal place of punishment called hell. There is an eternal place of reward called heaven. There is a great chasm between the two that is uncrossable. Other passages in Scripture support these. However, there are, there are other things here in this parable that are more unclear. For one, being able to see and talk back and forth between heaven and hell is not supported elsewhere in Scripture. It's helpful for this parable, but is a graphic portrayal. Another thing that this passage doesn't quite answer is what happens right when we die. This shows that we go directly to heaven or hell, but we know that the final judgment has not occurred yet. We know that the dead who believed in Christ and life will raise for the millennium and reign with him while the unbelievers are not brought back until the final judgment. This passage could show that this is an intermediate state until those times, but again, it's not the purpose of this passage, so we're just going to let that be for now. What we see in death for these two is a reversal of the roles we saw in life. The rich man realizes that he has made a grave mistake. 
He is on the outside looking in when they were living, or when they were, there, when they were living, Lazarus was on the outside looking in. But now the rich man is on the outside looking in. This is a beautiful illustration of the last will be first and the first will be last. All of the possessions, all of the power that the rich man had in life is gone in an instant. He is helpless. We can't take possessions with us when we die. Even unbelievers know this. We see this all the time. Many rich unbelievers get a point where they start to wonder, what's the point of having all this stuff? It makes me happen for a time, but it doesn't last. And I'm going to lose it all in the end. And so many turn to despair. We know that our true possession, those in Christ, our true treasure is knowing Christ and knowing what he's done for us and his promise of eternal life. He and his victory over sin and death so that we may live free from bondage. Jesus is telling us that we need to remain unaffected by the things of this world and hold everything as if we don't possess it. We possess Christ, and everything else is his, including our own body and life. So verse 24 says, And the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me for And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. The rich man is calling for mercy, a little relief. He is in constant anguish, and there is no relief. He is asking for a couple drops of water on his tongue, which will be gone an instant later. But that would be enough. This man who had feasted sumptuously every day, for him, a drop of water would do. And this is an incredible parallel to the scraps of food that Lazarus was begging for earlier. The difference here is that Lazarus can't help because there's a great chasm between the two. The rich man could have helped Lazarus and shown him mercy, but he never did. Now the rich man is the beggar asking for mercy. Looking again at Matthew 25:41, Jesus says, "Then he will say to those on his left, "Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire." prepared for the devil and his angels. This flame that the rich man is experiencing is the eternal fire. It will never be quenched, and it is prepared for everyone who does not follow Jesus Christ. The anguish that the rich man is experiencing is constant. He can't take his mind off of it. There are many of you that know intense suffering in this life, either past or right now. But there are things that we can do to take our mind off our suffering, We can watch TV. We could take medicine. We could read a book. We could spend time with friends. Even something as shifting the position in our chair can ease our suffering and give relief. But there is no relief in hell. You can't take your mind off the flame for one second. It is constant. And as you see, the rich man is no longer prideful. He feels the full weight now. He understands his position and he's begging for help because he can't do anything to help himself. Now we see Abraham step into the story. Now, it's interesting. Abraham is a very, very rich man himself. In Luke 6, 24 through 25, Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Now Abraham understood these woes. He understood these warnings. 
He possessed his wealth with faith and was not possessed by his wealth. Abraham loved the poor. He was friendly to strangers. He had mercy on Sodom. And we need to hear these woes and do likewise. We again are are in the place of the rich man. What are we doing with our riches? With our food? Are we using them on ourselves? Like the rich man? Or are we being generous with our resources like Abraham? And then comes the news from Abraham that is utterly crushing to the rich man. Verse 26 says, And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. There's no more hope for the rich man. That is the end. Eternity. Eternity has been determined by his life on earth. And it's a short life. A great chasm has been fixed by God. God created it this way. He didn't want those he saved crossing to hell to help those or help our people in hell crossing to heaven. God set up the afterlife. So righteous people do not mix with unrighteous people. God put the great chasm in place, partly to let those in heaven know that there's nothing that they can do to help those in hell. God is perfectly judged and is perfectly just, and everyone, when they die, will get exactly what is right for them. Once God has rendered judgment, it's permanent. The ethical choices in this life last for eternity. So the question is, what is right for us? When we die, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous. No, not one. Hell is right for us. I repeat, hell is right for us. Because God is righteous, it is right for him to give people exactly what they deserve. We all have original sin through Adam, and that separates us from God. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There is not one person who deserves hell more than any other person. We have all broken God's commandments. Again, hell is right for us. However, there is good news. Jesus Christ has come to save us. Jesus Christ paid for our eternal punishment by dying on the cross for our sins. Before Jesus died, there was a great chasm between God and man that we could not cross. The only access to God was through the Holy of Holies in the temple that the high priest could only enter once per year to atone for the sins of, his, of the people. And there was a veil that separated everyone for, from God. However, When Jesus died, the veil was torn in two to show that Jesus had crossed that great chasm between God and men. And shortly after, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended and now lives in the hearts of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The cross has made access to God possible. One great chasm has been bridged. And I call you today, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, put your faith in Him today And may the Holy Spirit abide in you 
However, the second great chasm, the one we see in this passage today, between heaven and hell, will never be bridged. There will be no access to God in hell. The cross does not cover this chasm, and nothing ever will. Once you die, your fate is sealed. There is no purgatory, no way to pass over to the other side once you die. And as I said before, the ethical choices in this life last for eternity. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today and be saved. Point three, what you do with your wealth matters. So read and study the Bible. It is sufficient to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. What you do with your wealth today matters. So read the Bi- and study the Bible It is sufficient to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the rest of the passage, starting in verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Here we see the rich man shifting to others. He knows that nothing, absolutely nothing, can be done for him. He knows that his family can be helped, so he is now begging for them. Begging for Lazarus to warn them because the rich man does not want his family to be in torment with him in hell. He has become an advocate for the position of Jesus Christ. He wants his brothers to repent. The rich man is saying, please, my family is just like me. They won't listen to the scriptures, but if a dead man came to me in a vision or a dream, I would have repented and believed. They don't know it will cost them their lives. So Abraham comes back and says they do know it will cost them their lives. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The warning is already there. God has given them what they need to be saved, and it worked for Lazarus. In Acts 26.22, Paul says, To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Again, in Acts 28, 23 through 24, it says, When they had pointed a day for him, again, him being Paul here, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, and from morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses And from the prophets, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Paul's explaining that everything is in the law and the prophets to have faith for God for salvation. They testify for him about the coming Christ and for us, the risen Christ. And finally, Jesus himself says in John 5, 45 through 47, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, for there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. 
But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? There are those that say today that we don't need to worry about the Old Testament, that we can detach it from the New Testament because we have Jesus and his resurrection. That is a lie. If we leave the Old Testament off, we miss the whole entire story of redemption. We lose why Jesus came to save us in the first place. We lose what Jesus is even saving us from. How long has it been since you've read from the Law of Moses, the first five books in the Bible? How long has it been since you've been reading the prophets? Hopefully it was this morning, or last, this last week, or even this last month. If it's been much longer, you need to get back there. We know that Jesus is written on every page in Scripture. He is in every story. And if we don't see him there, we need to keep reading, we need to keep praying, and we need to dig deeper, because Christ is there. In verse 30, the rich man responds to Abraham and says, No, it's not good enough, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. The rich man is desperate. He is saying like a child, No, no, no! It didn't work for me. You don't understand. The rich man is implying that there is something greater than God's message through his servants. Some greater proof than the Bible. But how wrong the rich man is. Abraham comes back in verse 31 and again says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This shows that if people won't hear the scriptures and respond to God's action in the world, they won't even respond to miraculous action. Only a responsive heart will listen to God's message and respond to it. If our heart is closed off, even the miraculous will have no effect on us. Jesus did many miracles and signs, and still people did not believe him and repent. It takes God's word and a soft heart to move into repentance. God has already made clear his mind and his plan. What God says he will do, he will do. It is interesting that in Jesus' parable, Abraham talks about one rising from the dead because that is exactly what Jesus will do and has done for us. He died and was raised from the dead, had victory over sin and death. And there's a lot of evidence that points to the empty tomb. But as Romans 1.25 says, they have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. There are a lot of lies that people believe in this world even though the truth is right in front of them. We must be truth tellers. Don't gloss over lies that people say in general conversation. We need to inject the truth of the Bible. We need to gently explain and, and question and press them about their reasoning. But press into them the truth and the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. So what does this cry of the rich man for his family mean for us? Well, how many of us know someone who has died apart from Christ? It is devastatingly painful and hard to think of such things, but this passage is letting us know that hell is real. These people who have died and are in torment, and they are crying out, 
They're pleading for someone to share the gospel with their loved ones. And you can be the one to answer that cry. We cannot stand back idly and let the fear of man stop us from speaking to the lost about Jesus. No matter how hostile they may be to the truth, there is no excuse to stand on the sidelines and do nothing. We are called to make disciples. Simple as that. So if you don't know what to say, then pray that God would give you the words and go to the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 3, 14 through 17 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So we need to go into the world, and we need to share the good news of Christ. So what you do with your wealth matters. Do not be blind to the needy. Understand that how you live your life and what or who you put your trust in permanently determines what happens to you in the afterlife. And read and study the Bible. It is sufficient to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen.